Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Boy, oh boy, this week's episode is going to blow your mind. I'm excited. You should be. This is Tyler Chef. I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast, and I'll be back at you here in just a second. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again. I've got with me today, you heard me give a little bit of tease there in the intro, but I've got somebody for you. This is going to be a packed episode, packed with value. Today, I've got with me Seth Williams. Seth is a land investor and a residential landlord. He's got nearly a decade of experience in the commercial banking industry. I find it interesting. We're going to talk about a little bit about that today. He was in the commercial banking industry. Now he's in the in the land business. He is the founder of retipster.com, which is a real estate investing blog. And when I say blog, I mean with a B. Um, that offers real world guidance for real estate investors. So Seth, welcome, first of all. Hey, Tyler. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to be here. I got to tell you, so the, this may sound ignorant, but I'm even being a podcaster, I was ignorant to the whole blogging thing until I went to FinCon. I went to FinCon last year in Dallas. Uh, and then I met you there, of course, this year in person in, in Orlando. But what made you decide to do a, a blog? What, where did that come from? Yeah, man, that's a great question. Yeah, I, I was kind of like you for the longest time. Like I didn't really get blogs. Like I just I didn't read anything like that. It didn't make sense to me. Why would somebody care? Uh, but it wasn't until about like mid 2012 when somebody told me about this guy, Pat Flynn, who was doing a blog called smartpassiveincome.com. And uh, Pat just did an amazing job and continues to do an amazing job of putting together a lot of like super detailed, in-depth, helpful stuff, stuff that I would like like legitimately pay money for, like it's yeah. worth a lot. And he does it for free. He just kind of puts it out there. Um, he, he does have some paid courses and stuff like that. But for the most part, like he was just sort of putting all this value on the table and people could just eat it up. And I was like, man, how does this guy like make money? Like, why is he even doing this? Like what's in right. it for him? And I was looking at his income reports that he publishes and he's, the guy was making like a hundred thousand bucks a month just from doing this. And I'm like, what? What is going on? <laughs> so, but I, I really liked his approach that like, he wasn't trying to hold anything back. He wasn't acting like he had this secret that nobody else could get. Like he was just totally honest and down the earth. And I just really, it was easy for me to trust him. And I was like, you know, I, I don't know of anybody doing this in the real estate world and I could totally do this. Like this could be my thing. So I started the RE Tipster blog because I had been investing in land and rental properties. And it's not like I was this ultimate authority on anything, but you know, I, I had learned a thing or two and I had this sort of mental library of knowledge floating around in my head. So I was just thinking, hey, maybe I can start putting together this value packed information for whoever's interested. I can just explain random things like how I find motivated sellers and how to make offers and how to do research. So I really just started putting lots and lots of time into that. And I, I found that like, I really kind of liked it. Like it was fun. I really, really enjoyed spending my time doing that, uh, which I, I wasn't expecting until I started doing it. So I just kept plugging away. And over the years, it's become just a bigger and bigger resource for people. And, you know, a lot of people just kind of find the blog through random Google searches. And it's been a ton of fun. 
So that's sort of uh, the origin behind the RE Tipster blog. I got to tell you, I'm not the guy that would typically be found reading a blog. Now, that said, when I worked for the government for several years, for five years, I worked for the government. I was on a ship at sea. Oh, really? So I did have to, by, by force, take in podcasts and blogs mm -hmm. uh, because it was the only way I could get content. Streaming YouTube was not an option in the middle of the Yeah. But um, what I like about yours is that it's very well organized and laid out. And you don't leave me wanting, and I think you touched on this a minute ago, but you don't leave me wanting more. It's like if I want to learn a topic, like let's say, I don't know, uh, what type of refrigerator you should put in a rental. Mm -hmm. You're going to give me everything I need, but you're not going to pack it full of a bunch of fluff. You're going to kind of, every, every time I'm going to have a question like, yeah, that's great, Seth, but this, the next sentence answers my question. Yeah. Or you re reference a video. So I really love the way it flows. So ladies and gentlemen, I'll put the links in the show notes to make sure you get over there and register for his blog and take the time to, to take in that information because I'm getting a lot out of it. My wife's getting a lot out of it. It's really, really done. So well done on that. That's great to hear, man. Thanks for that. Appreciate I, it. I love Pat Flynn too. He's, he, he's the guy that, he's where I learned a lot of the stuff that I do for podcasting. Oh, cool. The, uh, the, my email marketing system, all that good stuff. So Awesome. Yeah, he's a great guy to learn from. Uh, that he is. I've met him a couple times at different podcast conventions. But sweet. But what I like about you know, back to your content is that you're you're very good about delivering what we need to know, so we walk away full. It's kind of like you know some of these some of the information you see out there on the internet. It's like they give you just enough until you can swipe a credit card. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get into you get behind the the iron curtain, and it's really no different. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a modified version of what you just got for free. <laughs> and there's another holding this tip out until you get to the next piece. I love the fact that you you really do an amazing job of just taking me right down the road and giving me everything I need to be successful, whatever that one task is. So that's awesome. I wish more yeah. people would do that. That's for sure. Yeah, man. Oh, I'm no. glad, you, glad you recognize that stuff. That's really good to hear. You came from commercial banking. Mm -hmm. um, in what regard? Were you a lender or underwriter or what would that look like? Yeah, I, I worked for a, a small business financing company and we were into this uh, niche of SBA 504 loans. That was like literally all we did. Um, and the way that particular type of loan works, it's kind of a pain to get one. Like there's just a ton of red tape and it takes forever. You basically have to go through the commercial loan approval process uh, twice. Um, once through the bank and once through us. But the way it works is uh, a bank will come in and lend you 50% of the money you need. And then SBA or us, we would go in and, and lend up to 40%. So the benefit being you'd only have to put in 10% into a project that would normally take you know, at least 20%. Right. And, and also our, our portion of the loan would be fixed for 20 years. So you would have that rate locked in usually at like four or 5%. Um, and it's, you know, most commercial loans are on like a five-year renewal where the rate adjusts every five years. And if the bank wants to kick you out, like they can just do that. Um, and with the SBA loan, you would just had that certainty of knowing you would have the loan and you would know what the rate would be for 20 years. So that was, those are kind of like the benefits behind it. But the downside was uh, it, it's just, kind of hard and annoying sometimes it, if it's right. like a no-brainer deal it was fairly easy but if there was anything about uh, your credit worthiness that was questionable like it just could potentially take a long long time to get through the process 
So ninety-five so percent of America didn't qualify. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, and and then, so did you switch over into rentals right away, or did did you start in land business? Yeah, I I actually first like the idea of real estate investing didn't enter my mind until it was like two thousand five when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad for the first time and. It was just like this light bulb moment, like, oh, so that's how that's how rich people do it. That's I've always wondered. <laughs> like I thought you just had to be a doctor and that was the only way to do it. But no, exactly. you can actually like anybody can get into the game if they just start making the right strategic decisions and understanding how money works. So but you know, in that in Robert Kiyosaki's books, he talks a lot about real estate investing, but he doesn't get into the specifics very much of like exactly what you do. So I, I had spent a ton of time like looking for rental properties or houses to flip like hours upon hours. And, you know, if you remember back in like 2005, 2006, like real estate was kind of expensive. It was kind of like, like it is today. Like there weren't just tons of deals to be found everywhere. So, you know, I was just looking on the MLS and I, for the life of me, I couldn't find anything where the numbers made sense. And I was just like beating my head against the wall and, it wasn't until around like the 2008 uh, era when uh, I, I came upon the land investing business from a home study course that I took. And uh, the whole uh, strategy behind this was to uh, send out mailers to the delinquent tax list, which is a, a list that pretty much every county has but sometimes it's really hard to get and it's usually a total mess to sort through. And you know, you can, you can get this list and send out a mailer to everybody just saying, Hey, I'm looking to buy property in your area. Give me a call back if you want to sell. Right. And, uh, and I, so I started doing that and specifically what I wanted to buy was land. Um, because it's, you know, it's pretty simple. There's not a whole lot to it. You know, nothing gets broken or stolen or destroyed and there's no tenants or property management issues. Um, and so, you know, I started making offers to people who had vacant land and like to my shock, people were willing to sell for like insane low prices. Like <laughs> the, the first, first property I bought, and don't get me wrong, a lot of people said no too. So it's not like oh, everybody's just willing to do it, but you, you basically just, you don't know what people are willing to do until you make the offer. So I was making lots of really low offers and the first deal I bought was a, a half acre. Uh, it was like probably an hour north of where I live and uh, the person agreed to sell for $331. And I mean, it was just, to me, that was just mind blowing. But then, uh, you know, so I bought the property and did my own title search and paperwork is fairly easy to do and listed it on Craigslist and sold it in like, I think it was like 11 days or something like that. Uh, and I sold it for $1,900. Wow. So, so I mean, this isn't like job quitting money. It's not that big of a deal, but still it was just like, man, that didn't take a ton of time or work and I was able to buy it with just the money in my bank account. I didn't have to take a loan out for that. Right. It was like super easy to sell. I didn't even need a realtor. Like, like if I can just do this a lot more and do bigger versions of this, like there's something here. Um, and so, yeah, really like land was the first real estate investing niche that I was like actually able to succeed at. I had tried my hand at a few other things and like, I just couldn't get anywhere with it. Uh, right. But land, just the fact that it was like, it was so like hands off and just pretty straightforward and there were a lot of complexities to it and I didn't need loans, like just all those attributes combined made it a really, really good fit and it still is a good fit to this day. 
Can you briefly share the stuff that you tried that just didn't appeal to you? The, yeah. The things. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, um, just in terms of like the real estate things I tried, you know, I tried, uh, flipping houses. I, I mean, this was probably like a gift from God, but I was never able to actually get a deal under contract and get it done. I made lots of offers and nobody wanted to sell. And I, I had to like apply for a home equity line of credit so that I'd have the money to, you know, uh, renovate the place. And so like, I, I sort of got all the pieces in place, but looked at dozens of houses, made dozens of offers and just nobody was willing to sell. Hey, um, the market is definitely doing you some favors there. Yeah. <laughs> well, you. I could, man. I mean, it, it, man, I could have really, really screwed up my financial life bad. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, and actually like the first house I did buy, um, you know, I, I, bought it in 2006 and sold it in 2009 and lost like 20 grand on it. But like compared to what I saw other people doing, like I got out lucky. Like it was, that was not bad compared to a lot of the other stuff people were going through. So, um, and then similarly with uh, rental properties, I kept, you know, trying to run the numbers and see if it would work. And, um, it was the kind of thing where like, if the numbers were going to work, I was going to have to make offers for like tens of thousands below what people were asking. So it's just like, it was so far from reality. It was just, I don't know, it was kind of like just really discouraging. Like nothing I could do could make it work. So yeah, moving to you know the land business and realizing like it is so easy to get right. stuff for so cheap. <laughs> and like, I, and, and I'd say, you know, one of the things I found about land that was harder was um, it's, it's sort of on a case by case basis, but uh, selling the properties, sometimes they go really quick. Sometimes they just feel like they take forever. Whereas I think uh, houses, a lot of household sailors and flippers that I know, at least right now anyway, they seem like they're selling really, 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 really fast, like right. almost effortless. Uh, and land, sometimes it works like that, but a lot of times you just have to be creative and, and push it a lot harder and offer different terms and things in order for the deal to finally move. And going back to what you're talking about, about flipping houses, what I, what I enjoy hearing you say is that the fact that you, you couldn't find something to make work, which means you were very focused on your exit strategy. You were very focused on your numbers <clears throat> and the land business. You're making offers, respons I call responsibly. What I'm seeing going on right now, and it's been going on throughout history. I mean, I've been doing this now for 18 years. And one thing I see is that people will buy with emotion uh, mm -hmm. in all facets of real estate. You didn't do that. And I think that helped insulate you from a lot of the, the grief. I am raising my hand right now. I am one of those people that made emotional purchase decisions, quarter million dollars in lost money later. Oh man. Uh, yeah. Learned my lesson. So that well done for that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's honestly like, it's a really tough thing to guard against that. I mean, even today, like there's deals I look at where like I can feel, you know, the part of my brain that gets all like, happy and excited, like starting to take over a little bit. And I have to be like, no, shut up. Like, like <laughs> stop talking. Like this is all a left brain decision. We're looking at numbers. That's all that matters. Right. So yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you can certainly make the right decision, but like, I don't know that with me anyway, that I can ever completely silence that. Like it's something you have to guard against for sure. Well, yeah. I mean, everybody has that. I, I want to get a deal. I go through, I still go through it. I've been doing this a long, long time. I still go through it. It's a process, you know, because sometimes you think, well, I know that I can change this, fix this problem tomorrow and therefore change the whole picture of this deal. 
But then I think to myself, yeah, but how many times have I said that to myself and it didn't work out? Mm-hmm. So, you know, or I've maybe skipped things in due diligence uh, that I shouldn't have overlooked that, you know, I, I won't look in places so I won't find any drama, right? That's <laughs> yeah. I'll buy it anyway. Don't worry. I won't do a title search. I won't worry about this. I won't worry about that. It'll be fine. It's a little old lady. What could possibly go wrong? And next thing you know, you get the, you know, six months later, you get this raw, raw, raw. Yeah. <laughs> Let her yeah, I know. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've had that a number of times too, where it's like, I don't know if it's because it's just easier or if it's because it makes me feel better about myself or what, but there's this tendency for me to want to just like shoot from the hip and be like, I know what I'm doing. I got this. It's no right. problem. Um, and sometimes you can get away with that, but if you got to be ready for it to blow up in your face too, if you're really going to consistently make those kind of decisions. For me, I pretend that I've got a camera on my shoulder and that the whole world's watching what I'm about to do. And I'm supposed to set the example of somebody that's, that's yeah. educating others on what, what to do the right way. And it's like, I can't do that because that would make me like one of the, what, that would make me the opposite of what I tell my students to do. I need to be a good shepherd here and, and lead effectively. So that's a great idea. I, I should get a GoPro and put it in my head and then like stream it live on YouTube so people can see what I'm doing. That might keep me, keep me in line. You know, I've tried that, but for whatever reason, the sellers get twitchy when you do that. Oh. <laughs> like, what's that camera? Why is it on? I'm like, whoa, what? <laughs> They have a problem with that? How strange. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to build a YouTube channel here, mister. Come on. <laughs> we got 700 subs. Just just smile for the camera and let's give me a hard time and we'll fight. Sign, sign this waiver so I can do this. <laughs> exactly. Sign here. <laughs> I kind of want to gray you out. Anyway, um, so I like you said about um, one thing I noticed that I caught out of the, that $331 thing is that in a lot of cases, it seems like you make things easier to buy. In other words, when you buy something, you buy that $331 lot, you can sell it for let's say two grand, but the average person that might, the buyer for that lot may not have two grand. And then you make it easier to buy by what, putting terms in and, and seller financing, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's certainly one way you can do it. Um, something I've, I've sort of learned. That's what I used to do with everything. Like I just always offered seller financing if somebody wanted that. And, you know, that can certainly be effective at, uh, you know, opening the door for more potential buyers. Cause a lot of people, you know, something, something not everybody knows about vacant land is that it's like very, very, very difficult to get a bank to lend you money for land unless you have an immediate plan to develop it or if it's right. already somehow generating an income. But if you're just going to buy a residential lot and just sit on it, like a lot of banks want nothing to do with that. And well, yeah. part of it is because vacant land is a, a pretty tricky thing to appraise and put a value on. Um, and once you start trying to value lots, you'll kind of see what I mean. Like a lot of the data that you need to make a rock solid decision just isn't there or it's really, really loosey goosey. It's just not, not easy to work with. Right. So a lot of banks are just like, no, we're not going to do it. Um, so what that means is that, you know, with a lot of these lots, the people you're going to be selling them to, given that they can't get a bank to lend them the money, they either need to have some other source of funding being like a home equity line of credit or you financing the sale for them, or uh, they need to just have all the cash to buy it outright. And, you know, there are certainly people out there who have, you know, 50 grand in cash and can just do that. I've I've sold a number of properties that way. Uh, But a lot of people, you know, if you don't offer them seller financing, it's not going to happen. So uh, basically if you want to open up the door to a lot more buyers, you can do that. You can also usually sell it for a lot more money if you offer seller financing because 
people are more concerned with what the payment is and whether they can afford that versus mm -hmm. what the total price is. I don't want to say it's a, it's a non-issue, but you know, you can usually get away with charging a lot more. Um, so yeah, I mean, I used to offer seller financing on everything, but something that, something that I kind of realized after doing it, you know, 20 plus times was that like seller financing is kind of a hassle um, in a number of ways. First of all, you know, depending on the state you're in, some states make it pretty easy to repossess your property if the borrower ever stops paying, and some right. states make it really, really complicated and expensive and hard to do. Like they force you to go through court. Um, other states have something called a non-judicial foreclosure where you can basically just send out a few letters and file paperwork and it's done. You get your right. property back. Um, so, you know, there's, there's just a lot, like whatever state you're working in, there's a lot of things you need to investigate and understand before you start doing this. Because if you don't, it's very, very easy to get yourself in a situation where you're out of control and you can't really get your property back unless you fudge paperwork, which is never a position I would ever want to put anybody in. So, yeah, no. um, so it's just, it's kind of a hassle. And also, um, there are certainly things you can do to run credit checks on people before they start, uh, you know, borrowing from you. Um, a lot of the advice that I heard from people though, was just don't run credit checks because you can always get your property back. And that's true, but you can only get it back if you've, you know, jump through the right hoops and use the right paperwork and language in the first place, uh, which was a part that they were omitting from the process. <laughs> so um, mm. it's just, uh, and you know, also you got to worry about uh, setting up systems to collect payments and then chasing after people when they do stop paying. So there's just a lot that goes into that. And I think it's certainly worth that hassle if the property is worth, you know, X number of dollars on it, I'll say, 10 grand or more right? Um, because you can, you know, you can justify all those hassles by the fact that you're making a lot of money from it. And if they do stop paying, it makes sense to hire an attorney to go after them and handle all that stuff for you. But if you're trying to sell a property for 2000 bucks and you're often seller financing, collecting like 50 bucks a month from them, like it just, <laughs> you're in a position where like you can only lose if they stop paying because exactly. it, um, so anyway, that's why, over the years, I've, I've intentionally moved away from seller financing. I don't do a lot of that anymore. It's mostly, I try to just push for cash sales. And, you know, there's certainly a downside to that in terms of it taking longer to sell and, you know, generally having to, to uh, have a, a more discounted price when you're selling. Uh, but you also kind of wash your hands of a lot of, a lot of annoying problems as well. So, yeah. Have you thought about, so that's interesting. And then you make good points because I know when I call being in the note business, we do a lot of foreclosures yeah. and every time it's going to cost that you're never going to get a foreclosure done with an attorney, in my opinion, for less than $2,500 to yeah. $3,500 to start. So you're right. You get a $2,000, $3,000 lot for sale price. You're just going to might as well just hand the, the, hand it over to the attorney and say, you can keep it if you can collect, right? Because <laughs> we'll just call it a draw. A draw. Yeah. Have you looked at things like where the title doesn't transfer? And I know every state's different, but I don't know about Michigan, but like down in Florida, maybe a, a, a maybe like a land lease or mm -hmm. contract for deed or something like that that makes that process easier. Have you have you done any of those? Yeah, and that's that's actually the way the way I do it uh, in Michigan is with a land contract. And Michigan's one of those states where it is a non-judicial foreclosure state, so there are ways of getting a property back without going to court, without hiring an attorney. 
um, there's just certain steps you have to follow and like notices you have to send to the borrower and then uh, termination documents to get recorded and all that. Um, but the thing that, uh, this is another thing that <laughs> a lot of people want to talk about, but even with a land contract, even with something where the title does not transfer until after it's paid off, all it takes is for a buyer to make one payment to you and then they all of a sudden have an equitable interest in the property and they have grounds on going to court and claiming that they have some kind of a right to the property unless you go through the steps of properly terminating those rights, right. which again, in some states, you got to go to court to do that. In other right. states, you don't. So it's, I mean, even though the mechanics are such that the deed is in your name until they pay it off, like that doesn't mean you can just go do whatever you want. Like because that person you know, has a copy of this land contract that's recorded and they have right. proof that they've paid money to you, that really makes things a lot more sticky. And, you know, a lot of people like to just be like, oh, nope, doesn't work that way. But it's one of those things like you can't just ignore the issue. Like it is right. what it is. And I wouldn't recommend just, you know, going crazy and having fun until you really have done things properly. Well, and the reality of it is in today's society, we live in a litigious society and someone feels as if they're wronged by your actions as far as collecting against them. They're going to haul you into court, whether you got a, a foreclosure on your hands or a, sub, or a uh, contract for deed or anything, you're going to wind up in court if somebody wants to put you there. And, yeah, yeah, and for sure. you know, they put on the victim hat and, and off we go. So mm-hmm. what yeah, would you yeah. say? Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, I, I mean, this wasn't a real estate case, but I, I, I've heard stories about people who spent like 70 grand just to defend themselves. So like they didn't even lose the suit, but just to like, you know, have an attorney do their thing. It was like super expensive, which is just crazy to me that that's how it works. But in my opinion, they lost the suit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Honestly. Wow. That's expensive. For sure. So of the, I know you don't do a lot of seller financing anymore, but of the ones that you do do, what would you say, what would a, to a new land investor, if I'm a, a guy that's going to do the land investing, what percentage default is, would you consider average? Is there such a thing? Is that even a reasonable question? Yeah. Well, I would say back when I was doing a lot of it um, and when I was not running credit checks on people, I was just kind of taking anybody and everybody. It was about half. Okay. So like about half the people would, within the first year or so, stop paying. Some people would stop a few years into it, but it's basically like, you know, just plan on it. Um, and even if you do run credit checks, I think that'll help a lot just in terms of like knowing what you're getting into with people. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's foolish to think it will never happen. And given that it's going to happen at all, you might as well be equipped with a proper plan on dealing with it when it happens. Right. And then if it doesn't happen, you're in good shape for me. It's like vacancy loss on my rentals. I'm a little overzealous when it comes to vacancy loss on my apartments. Uh, I will, if they say, if the market says 10%, I say 15. If they say five, I say 10. Mm-hmm. People laugh and it's like, well, guys, I took my wife to Belize for an entire week with a private charter sailboat on my vacancy loss money I didn't have to spend. So, <laughs> so I'm awesome. okay with being extra conservative. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know that with the first few uh, rental properties I ever looked at, it was, I was very much the same thing. Like, I was just like being too conservative, I would even say. But it's right. like, hey, like I'd rather err on that side than being caught with a situation that I really did not want to find myself in. Amen. That's no fun. How do you, it, it, is it, maybe it's a long answer, but if we can maybe do something in the show notes or point us to a blog post on the topic, but 
is there a service that you use to do a credit check or is there just is that more of like a procedure that you do in house? Is that just something yeah. you order from somebody or what? Yeah, the, the service that I would use uh, is called Cozy, which is actually like cozy.co. Right. Uh, I've actually got an affiliate link if you want to use mine. It's nice. re forward slash Cozy. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, Cozy is a service that it's actually designed for mom and pop uh, rental property landlords. So it's right. meant to like help people run credit checks and background checks on tenants who are going to be staying on their properties. Um, it's, I mean, it's a great, very, very well done software, but again, it's meant for rental properties. So uh, the way it works is you, know, you plug in the name, email address, and all the, all the basic information about your tenant and it sends an email to them. They have to go through the process of filling out all their information and then paying for the credit check. So they pay for it, not you. I see. Okay. And the credit report gets sent back to you as the landlord. Um, the thing is you can, you can use this stuff for borrowers when you're doing seller financing. You're just going to say, and have references to the word landlord and tenant in the email that goes back and forth. But other than that, really no different. I mean, right. you the same information, the same data you would need to look at their, you know, their credit history, outstanding payments. Um, so kind of treat it very, very similar. Uh, and you can use this software for that. So. That's outstanding. Thank you so much for sharing that guys. So again, yeah. I'll put that in the show notes as well, but retipster.com uh, forward slash cozy, retipster.com forward slash cozy. For those of you that are landlords or going to get into land business, I want to run credit. Um, then go, there's your opportunity to do so. I like the fact that the that the buyer or the prospect pays for it. Yeah, I know because you, you can look at you know as many people as you want, and it's not going to cost you anything. It's up exactly. to them to cover it. Exactly. My my, I've only man out of all of our properties. There's only one that I manage, and that happens to be a little fourplex that my wife and I live in. Mm -hmm. um, we manage that one, and for that matter, really, I say manage. We've got four units here. Two of them are managed by a short-term rental company. And the third one is, uh, <laughs> I got one tenant that I manage now, but I've, uh, we used to, we, we've used a local background check company that uh, has been very, very good, but they never got into credit. Um, really, believe it or not, I haven't checked credit in the past, mainly because when I was first getting started, I found, it seemed like everybody had bad credit, but I wasn't really loaning them money, so to speak. I had a different outlook back then. Mm -hmm. But this is good. If I knew a service like this had existed in the past, I would definitely have used them. All that, yeah. No doubt. yeah and, and that's the interesting thing about, uh, this actually took me a long time to grasp, but when you do run a credit report on somebody, like just looking at what that number is, is not, it's not really telling you the whole story. I mean, you could right. have somebody who's got terrible credit, but when you sort of read between the lines and understand why that number is what it is, I mean, you might find that like, they defaulted on one type of loan, but not another type of loan. So like they prioritized their housing payment in the past, even though they let their credit cards go. So it's like, it's not necessarily like a rubber stamp. If it's below 700, then denied. Like it's just not that simple. You sort of have to like understand what the report is uh, telling you. And right. you know, the details. Case by case, really. Yeah. I mean, I've had one with, you know, as far as not to change subject, but the, as far as property management, I have a personal policy where I, if you've had an eviction, forget it, you're not coming here. Mm -hmm. And a lot of property managers have said, you're crazy. You're not going to have any tenants. I said, well, you know, here's the thing. An eviction to me paints a picture. It means that you stayed beyond your welcome, mm -hmm. that you insisted, you refused to leave. You stayed, you, you forced me to take legal action against you in order for you to move your butt out of my property. So 
for me, that that is a, there's a type of person that, that has to be evicted, and there's people that just get behind and can't pay their rent. They move on their own accord. Yeah. I'm not going to deal with the guy that I have to physically, you know, have the, the law removed from the premises of the squatter type of that mentality for me says no. Yeah. That's a uh, great point, can, man. Makes I sense. See the, see the same thing on the land piece. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I've any issues where you sold a piece of land, you go to have to take it back and they've, I don't know, done, put it, they've put a mobile home on it or they've packed it full of garbage and you have to deal with that. Or has that never really come up? You know, it hasn't. I, I've looked at lots of properties where, you know, I was about to buy them and did an inspection and found that they were just trashed, like all kinds of junk and tires and, you know, trashed out mobile homes all over. <laughs> so right. um, certainly come across that, but I've never had a borrower who like tried to destroy the property or cut all the trees down and then leave, right. um, which I honestly like, I'm sure that could happen. So it's not oh, like sure, it's impossible. Yeah. I just haven't experienced that. I bought 25 acres uh, recently and it's just hunting land. It's, it's my, I call it my fort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's up, up in uh, Northern Florida and in the process of clearing some of the land so I could put a cabin there. I found a, a, a an RV from like the fifth. Oh, really? I was like, Oh, look at that. It looked like an old Airstream. It was all mm-hmm. beat up, but it was covered in trees. I didn't, I could, couldn't even see it when I flew over the property with the drone. So I found that interesting. <laughs> that is interesting. Carefully opening the door to make sure, you know, Hoff was not in there or something. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, that actually be really scary, man. It would. Did it's, you find anything in there? Or was it just empty? It looked. It was kind of eerie. It looked like somebody had just got done camping there. The door Weird. was closed. Now, over time, because it's been there since like I don't know the fifties or sixties, the floor it was a truck camper, and the floor had fallen out of it. Oh, okay. But only enough that you couldn't see underneath it. Mm-hmm. So I had to open that door, and it had a you know it, it was all dialed in. I mean, they had dishes on the table, and it's like oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, crazy. Yeah. Uh, who knows? But uh, anyway, so what's uh, lastly, before we wrap up here, what kind of turnaround time? I know that no form of investing is a get rich quick, by all means, no form at all. Mm-hmm. But reasonably, from the time you acquire a, a piece of land on an average, and I know it's going to vary depending on market and what type of marketing you do in the whole nine yards, what's reasonable to expect to turn around a piece of land on yeah. average? Yeah, well, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head in that, like, it depends on a lot of stuff. But I mean, if I had to like look at every deal I've ever done and like average it all out, it's probably like, I don't know, maybe like three months on average. I mean, the fastest I've ever had a deal sell is within like a couple days. Um, Sometimes they sell within a couple weeks. Like you just, you know, for whatever reason, it's a property everybody wants. So you put it out there and you just get tons and tons of calls. Other times it, just kind of, it's kind of like crickets. And I've usually found, um, this happens more and more as I've been focusing on doing a lot fewer deals that are just bigger. Um, but the more expensive ones that are like, you know, 20, 30, 50,000 and up, um, you know, there's just, uh, it takes a certain kind of buyer who wants that kind of thing and who has that kind of money. Um, so yeah, I mean, usually when you're doing, that's like one of the drawbacks of doing larger deals is, you just sort of have to be willing to wait for a little longer. And it's actually not, I mean, it's never really been a problem for me because I didn't pay a ton for it in the first place and the property right. taxes are cheap. So, I mean, I can camp out forever with those things, but I would prefer if they just sold faster. Exactly. A little bit of land banking there if you have to, but that's okay, right? Because yeah. nothing's going to happen to it. It's just going to sit there and grow more grass and trees. Yeah, for so sure. That's cool. Awesome. Anything you want to add before we wrap up? Um, yeah, man, I, I, uh, you know, I don't think land is like the thing for everybody, but for me, it was just a really good opportunity and it still is. It's just a good way to, I mean, I think my original plan was to 
buy enough rental properties so I could just kind of kick back and have them pay for everything. But I found that, you know, if that's literally all I'm going to do and I'm just going to sort of buy it at somewhat regular prices and use conventional lenders, like it was going to take me forever to get there because I only have so much money put into these things. Okay. Um, but land to me, like the crucial role it has played is just creating these large influxes of cash that can kind of make me jump ahead and save myself years of time that I would have otherwise spent working a normal job and only relying on that as my source of cash. So, you know, for me, land is not like, you know, I don't like love land because land, I would, I don't want to just go like roll around in a bunch of dirt. Like I don't care that much, but, <laughs> but it's, it's a means to an end and it plays a really important role just in terms of being like the money machine that, generates the funds so that when I do buy properties, like I don't really have to partner with people. I can own and control all of it. Um, so yeah, uh, I love that. I love that. And full disclosure, ladies and gentlemen, this is probably the first time I've announced this publicly, but we've, my wife and I, Jill, we've started, we've taken a little bit of a pivot in our business. We're still doing multifamily when the numbers make sense. That being the key words, when the numbers make sense, but there's folks out there right now that are buying and they think a 1%, 2% return uh, cash on cash makes sense for them. It doesn't make sense for the chef family. So based on that, we don't deviate from our numbers. Uh, when we make a decision to purchase something, the numbers neither make sense or they don't. If the numbers don't make sense, we simply don't do the deal, which is why it's been quite a while now. It's been uh, well, probably about a year since we've taken on a new property for this very reason. Have it, that's not for a lack of looking. It's just the fact that there are people out there with more money than sense, and we're not going to get into a bidding war and compete with them for these multifamilies and be one of the people that overpays. That said, we've decided to make a pivot into the land business. And part of the reason why I brought Seth aboard is that I'm, we are actually his students right now. We are taking, we've signed up for his land flipping course. We're taking his course. Um, I am on section three or chapter three or the third part of it, third, third module. Jill's right behind me. They're finishing up uh, number two today. And I got to tell you so far, ladies and gentlemen, and Seth, dude, well done, man. I mean, I'm a guy that, that teaches people. And I, and I told you this before we even came on the show, but um, it's, it's really, really good. And I can say that from the inside. I've seen it. It's good stuff. It's easy to follow. So if you have any interest whatsoever getting in a land business, get over to Ari Chester and get on the blog. Think about taking that land investing course. I'm gonna. I'd love to have you back as I get further through the course and get rolling with properties. We've we've taken your advice and done the phone system. We're doing that today and all the different things because I love you. Go okay. Step one, do this, and then <laughs> yeah. step two, do this. I'm like okay, I can do that. Even I can do this. <laughs> it's like step three, do that. Okay, I'll do that. So following it step by step, I'd love to have you back to to kind of recap where we are talk more about the course because I think this is going to be a huge help to people getting started. And like you said, it's a way to generate revenue to do other things if you need it. For us, we're going to use it as a little bit of leapfrog. We want to learn more about the land business, the land buying business. We're going to integrate that into think of like single RV parks, like an Airbnb for yeah. RV spots. Yeah, it's a cool idea. So that's one thing that we're looking at down the road. And that's why one of the reasons why we're paying attention to this. So well done. We'd love to have you back and talk more about that. I know the, the people listening are probably pretty excited about it. And uh, they know that I don't recommend something unless it's good. No, man, I, I appreciate that more than, more than I can say. It means a lot coming from you. So thanks. Thanks so much for the kind words. And yeah, absolutely. I'd love to come back anytime. 
Absolutely. Thank you very much. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to wrap it right there. And as you, as you always know, you hear me say, if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, head on over to Tyler, T-Y-L-E-R dot T-U-B-E, Tyler dot tube. That takes you directly to the YouTube channel. Make sure you sign up there. You may see me tripping through the woods with my drone, taking pictures of the property and doing different things. And you might see me in an apartment building with the camera on. You may see me Heck, doing my cash flow game. I don't know, but that's where that information is going to be held. I have been doing a little bit of a vlog behind the scenes. Haven't released it yet, but uh, we will be doing that in the next couple of months. The only way you're going to know about that, ladies and gentlemen, is if you head over to YouTube and uh, subscribe to the channel. Uh, you can go to Tyler.tube and do that, or you can just go to YouTube, type in cash flow guys. Please make sure that you visit retipster.com. You've got to spend some time on that course. All the education that I think you need, and the, all of it, the whole answer to the entire question is there on retipster.com. <laughs> it's stuff I've typed that in wrong a couple of times myself. I'm like, why? It's, it's Tipster. <laughs> but uh, I'll put that link in the show notes. Make sure you get over there and register. Get on his email. Even your emails are good, which is crazy because I hate emails, but I like yours. So well done. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. So ladies and gentlemen, take the action. Now is the time. There's no longer any more time to delay. You can't say that you're financially free and it's anybody else's, that you're not financially free and it's anybody else's fault but your own. So get off your butt, get to work. Let's make it happen. Catch up with you guys next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.